Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So if you heard the news at the top of the hour, then um, you know the story behind the story that I shared with you yesterday, uh, that indeed there is another elementary school um, that is allowing an after-school Satan club um, to to meet on its campus. Okay, as I said yesterday, I'm going to say the same thing today. Child Evangelism Fellowship is running more than 5,000 good news clubs as after-school programs in public schools across the country. Um, So don't set your hair on fire about what's happening related to uh, these after-school Satan clubs. Instead, invest in Child Evangelism Fellowship's good news clubs in schools in your community. The the way schools get targeted for having an after-school Satan club right, is that it's a school where a good news club is already functioning. So let's help the good news clubs flourish. Let's help them multiply. Let's help them find good footing. Let's help them get good advertising. Why is the Satan Club getting all of the coverage in the in the local media and the good news club not getting that kind of coverage? Because we set our hair on fire about, you know, the fact that there is a Satan Club. Instead, we should be setting ourselves on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit, attracting people to the good news club. All right. There you go. I know. I got a little hot and bothered about that. <sighs> Do I think there should be afternoon Satan Clubs? No. No. But I think that Christians ought to be investing in, celebrating, and seeking to magnify and multiply the good news of the gospel in the culture today. And how does that happen? Well, among kids at public schools, it happens through good news clubs, which happens through Child Evangelism Fellowship, which you can find at cefonline.com. Or you can just Google good news club. It's that simple. (sighs) Okay. Back to what I had planned to talk about. Sometimes I have, like, thoughts and I, they have to come out. You're like that, too. Okay, so um, have you ever been in a conversation, group? Normally, this happens in a group setting. Because if this happens one-on-one, man, I just go, just go straight in and say, uh, yeah, I'm not, we're not having this conversation. Um, but in a group, I am more hesitant to sort of stop the Christian game-playing of what I'll describe as one-upsmanship. So there's a Christian version of the one-upsmanship game. So you could think about this in the in secular terms in, as like, oh, you know, let me tell you my fish story, and I caught a, I caught this size fish, and then the next person's like, well, let me tell you my fish story. Oh, let me tell you my fish story. It happens among hunters as well. But anyway, it happens among Christians. But among Christians, the one-upsmanship game is sometimes like a one-upsmanship story related to the depravity of our sinfulness uh, prior to coming to Christ. Or sometimes it's a one-upsmanship story related to the good we've done for others or the sacrifices we've made for our families. There's, like a, there's almost like a, a, a personal martyrdom 
um, one-upsmanship mentality among some Christians. Sometimes the one-upsmanship stories related are related to other Christians, which let me just go ahead and say, flat out, that's just gossip. That's just gossip. You ought to nip it in the bud right when it rears its ugly head in a conversation of which you are a part. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, in all of those circumstances, especially when we have them online, you have seen this take place on social media, this this Christian one-upsmanship related to things. Our kids are listening. Our kids are overhearing us have these conversations when we, you know, we got our little coffee club together or, um, you know, the kids are hearing us. And so they know that we lie and that we embellish things and that one-upsmanship is the way to uh, gain gravitas in a community or in a conversation or to get something that we want. And so when I read this um, piece in the New York Post this morning, how college applicants are embellishing their essays with sob stories and um, and all kinds of fake, horrible things that happen to them, fake trauma um, or, you know, some minor trauma that they have now embellished into a great trauma. They learned this from us. They learned from us that you know, shading the truth or, you know, amplifying a story or embellishing something to get some, to gain some audience or to build a personal brand or, you know, it, you know, broadcasting your trauma, real or imagined, um, is actually a way to raise your profile. They've learned it from us. So I'm going to say today, before we tell each other a story, I want us to pause and ask, is it true? Like true, true. Does it glorify God? Is it making the name of Jesus more famous? What is my motivation for telling this story to this person at this time? And how will the telling of this story, this particular personal trauma or grievance, how will this serve to advance the kingdom agenda of Jesus? There is power in stories. We need to be wielding that power with a view to our identity as ambassadors of Christ and our status as those redeemed in him to be salt and light in this world that he so loves. We talk about stories each and every week with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. So we're going to lift up some of the stories on the big and the small screen next. Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In, which you can find at PluggedIn.com, is back. Adam, happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, Carmen, although I have to confess that I'm not sure how happy it is because I can no longer tell any of my favorite stories because <laughs> there might be too much embellishment. So I'm going to have to... We have to learn to tell the stories, like, right? So I love to tell the story... And which story do I love to tell? The one that's most impossible for uh, for people to believe, right? So let's just tell those yep. stories. I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep pointing no, people I'm, to the chose the chosen and stop at that. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm joking, but I'm I'm mostly serious uh, yeah. because I think um, I think that one of the things I'm gonna now I'm gonna riff on your riff and then we'll talk about movies. But I think one of the things that social media has done is it has amplified our narcissism. And so we have to, we feel like we have to embellish just to get people's attention. And 
And so I think there's a natural tendency to want to, you know, garner attention anyway. That's part of the human condition. But social media hasn't done us any favors in that department. Okay, now we can talk about movies. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about Hotel Transylvania. Hotel Transylvania. Transformania. Yeah, it's really I wish, hard to I say. Wish, I, wish, I wish Christians had a movie called Transformania. Yeah. Well, it would be different than this movie. Let's just start <laughs> there. So actually, let me start by saying that the Hotel Transylvania franchise as a whole – once you sort of get past the superficial undead monster magic shtick, which a lot of people would have legitimate reasons to say, yeah, no thanks, not interested, has been consistently a really nice family-focused franchise. They're, they have consistently emphasized some pretty, I think, truthful themes about family, about acceptance. And the core of the story turns around Dracula and his daughter Mavis – Mavis is now married to a human, which has been galling and difficult for Dracula to accept. And this time around, Dracula is getting ready to bequeath the Hotel Transylvania, which is a resort for monsters. So all the famous <laughs> monsters in history hang out here. We have the Invisible Man. We have the Mummy, the Werewolf, Frankenstein. The whole gang's here, right? But Dracula can't get over the fact that his son-in-law, Johnny, is a human. And Johnny... <laughs> Johnny's a hardcore people pleaser, so he goes and finds Van Helsing, the monster hunter, who has a little gizmo that can turn him into a monster. All right, great. So Johnny turns into a monster, but uh, along the way, Dracula inadvertently gets transformed into a human. And Johnny turns out to be a pretty nasty monster, and Dracula doesn't want to be a mortal human, and so most of the movie focuses on getting back to their real form and sort of the implication of you don't have to become somebody else to be accepted, to be loved, to be a part of the family. Um, some nice messages. Uh, there, there's a lot of niceness here. Not so nice. The invisible man becomes visible and it turns out he's been naked the whole time. So we see a little bit of the invisible man's animated bare backside, which again, some families are going to say, ah, full stop. Don't need it. Uh, other families will maybe do a hard face palm and say, okay, I could have done without that, but, you know, it's a gag. It's not the end of the world. Um, that's probably the worst of the content here in terms of, of bathroom humor is uh, the, the invisible man's bare backside of all things. What a strange thing to talk about on a Friday morning. But that's where <laughs> we're at with this one. And that, apart from yet another reboot of the R-rated Scream meta horror franchise – it's pretty much yeah, the only which thing we're just going to talk about that. It's just yeah, a hard no, we're pass. not talking yeah. about it. Exactly. Yeah, I just. Um, all right. So I think that for Christians, when we are uh, talking about a movie like Hotel Transylvania's Transformania, there is an opportunity for us to talk about who we really are, uh, to talk about the transformation that uh, that takes place in our lives as we are more and more conformed to the image of Christ. I also think that, you know, there's just a playful conversation for you to have um, with your kids and with one another. You know, if um, if I became a monster, what kind of monster would I be? Would I be a good oh, monster? Like, how, how good of a monster would I be? I mean, the reality is he's a 
he's a good in terms of like you know criteria for monsterliness. Right. He's a he turns out to be like very monsterly, and so yeah. um, you know what's the criteria for judging um, whether or not a person is good or bad? I mean, it gets down to I think core issues of um, the uh, of questions of good and evil, and um, and I think that there is a way to approach those conversations with our kids that's actually helpful and and doesn't say you can't see movies like this. Like I think right. there's a way to have redemptive conversations. So I think that's what you're right. saying too. All right. Let's uh, yeah, um definitely. Let's let's do this. Um I, I want to talk about um celebrity culture and mental illness. I also want to talk about your post, algorithms, eating disorders, and social media. So we're going to continue our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. And you can find what we're talking about next at pluggedin.com. Holtz uh, blogs, among other things, at Focus on the Family's Plugged In. And if you go to PluggedIn.com right now, you can read his blog of algorithms, eating disorders, and social media. What's uh, what's go- First of all, what's an algorithm? Well, that's an important thing because anytime you talk about social media, you'll hear this word algorithm. And I say in the blog, it sounds like math. Of- no, exactly. It sounds like math. It sounds scary. It sounds like something you don't want to meet in a dark alley. Algorithm is just um, a a computer-ish word for a formula that determines what content will be pushed toward you. And we have all experienced this then, you know, you do a search on, oh, you know, I'm interested in buying a Jeep and you do a search on Jeeps and, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're inundated with advertisements for Jeeps everywhere, right? So that's the algorithm. And the algorithm is the thing that makes social media work. Social media gives you more of what you ask for. So if you do a search on something in social media, you're casting a vote saying more of this, please, which in the abstract is not necessarily bad. But where it gets really problematic is, especially with young people, if you're looking for something that's inherently destructive, like, you know, pro anorexia sites or, you know, how to lose weight fast. Uh, if you do a search on that, you're going to get lots of, of those things. And so this article in the Wall Street Journal that I talk about in the article, they set up 12 fake accounts and did searches on weight loss and, you know, those sorts of eating disorders. And they were deluged over the course of three months on those 12 accounts. They got 32,000 posts related to eating disorders, many of them glorifying eating disorders. So it's not like, how do I become not anorexic? You know, it's not trying to look for a healthy way out of the problem. You have, especially on TikTok, an entire subculture with all of these things that that glorifies them. Um, and, and we can find that with virtually any behavior. The same can be said of, uh, the article doesn't deal with this, but, you know, transsexuality. You'll find thousands and thousands and thousands of videos saying, you know, changing your gender is a good thing. And so the takeaway for parents is we need to know what our kids are searching for because whatever they're searching for, that is going to get reinforced by the algorithms that that feed all of these social media outlets. And it's pretty sobering when you start to take a close look at it. And, and you know, outlets like TikTok are trying to get a handle on not pushing really negative and self-destructive content to kids. But 
the problem is the algorithm isn't somebody sitting behind a computer making a decision. It's programmed in and it uses machine learning um, to figure things out. So there's a degree of artificial intelligence here. Um, in the movie The Social Dilemma, one guy says, you know, we worry about, you know, nasty robots taking over the world and wiping out humanity. And he says, look, the algorithm has already won. The machines have already won because we turned these algorithms loose and now they're pumping this content toward us. So it's pretty sobering, really. I think one of the things that you're um, you're pointing to here and helping us uh, you're helping us see um, is something sort of broadly known as the diet culture. Um, yep. And it is it is everywhere. Um, it, I mean, everywhere. And yes. I think that uh, when we talk as Christians about health and fitness and our bodies, um, I think that, you know, the, the conversations arise about what we see when we look in the mirror and how we become more, uh, you know, more aware of what we're eating and how we're treating these things that are temples of the Holy Spirit as such and, and on and on and on. I mean, you know, I, the, the more healthy I am, um, the better I can serve the Christ I love. Like there's a, there's a redemptive reason to focus on health, and there are lots of just worldly obsessive reasons um, to focus on weight. And I think that that's right. the diff- That's the difference here. That's the difference. Right. right. And and I and I also say in the article, you know, in terms of concrete help, um, I list some tips to really to to put some guardrails on your kids' engagement with the internet and with social media, starting with delaying engagement with social media apps as long as possible. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Then setting boundaries, using and engaging parental control features, modeling healthy social media use yourself. Uh, and then I think most importantly, it's not even fully about those things. It's about having a relationship with your kids where you can talk honestly, where you give them space to not feel like they have to tell you the you know the answer they think you want to hear, but you know creating space for that connection, for trust and respect, and and for communication to flow, and that simply takes time, and sometimes it takes curbing our impulse to immediately suggest, well, that's bad, you shouldn't be doing that, and listening to the why behind you know the things that they search for and are interested in. Mm-hmm. And why they post the pictures and videos of themselves that they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's, a, it's a really hard time to be, uh, to be the parent of a, of a tween or a teen. Um, and yeah. so uh, if you are, uh, Adam and I know that. We, we live that reality as well. Adam, Every as day. always, thank you so very much. You guys can find the piece that we're discussing at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. When you looked in the mirror this morning, or did you avoid the mirror this morning? When you looked in the mirror this morning, did you say to yourself, I look good. That is a good body. My body is good. God made this body to serve him. He has endowed me with his Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to walk by faith today. And God's given me this vehicle of this body, this good body, in which to do it. If that's not how you uh, approached yourself in the mirror today, Jennifer Wagner has some things uh, to say. Her book is 
your good body. And she's up next. This is Max Locato. We did a lot of shouting on our elementary school playground. All the boys marched around the playground shouting, boys are better than girls. In response, the girls paraded around the school announcing girls are better than boys. We were a happy campus. Shouting feels good, but does it do any good? It seems to me there is a lot of shouting going on on the airwaves, on bumper stickers, on social media. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. It is one thing to have an opinion. It's something else to have a fight. Let's reason together. Let's work together. And if discussion fails, let love succeed. If love covers a multitude of sins, can it not cover a multitude of opinions? Resist the urge to shout. This is Max Lucado. This is a new How'd you feel this morning when you looked in the mirror? How do you feel right now about your body? Jennifer Wagner joins us. She is the author of Your Good Body. Jennifer, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. How are you? I Well, I am well. It is well with my soul. And because nice. I'm talking with you, I am celebrating this body this morning. Excellent. I'm right here with you. Let's do it. Right? Right? Okay. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so let's talk about this. Um, you're telling me that my body is good when the world right now, and everything, yes. yeah, and everybody around me is telling me that my body is too big to be considered good. So what does it mean to see my body, the one in the mirror, the one I'm living in right now as a good body? I feel like my story is a massive, a, a huge example of the truth that no matter what amount of weight you ever lose or how much you change or fix or tone your body, making these exterior changes to your body, nothing wrong with them, but that is not what makes your body good. And that is not what's going to heal your relationship with your body. And so I have this massive story where I, uh, you know, struggled with my body and my weight my entire life. And graduating high school at 336 pounds, um, really broken on the outside and inside both together. And then I eventually lost this massive amount of weight, 150 pounds. But shockingly, I found myself still just not at peace with my body. And so there's this whole rewriting of the script in our mind and heart about how we see our body today, no matter the shape, no matter the size, you name it. All right, and we're listening, and we're our eyes just went wide, and we thought to and we thought to ourselves, um, my story's in that story. I'm I'm living that reality. I um, Jennifer's now my new best friend. Um, what's that book again? So the book is Your Good Body, and yes, we are giving away copies today. Um, you can text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Um, to enter the drawing for the copies we have available. You should also, um, if you're resonating with this already, and I know you are, jenniferwagner.co. Jenniferwagner.co is Jennifer's website. Tons of great resources there as well um, and lots of encouragement. So, um, Jennifer, you talk about this isn't um, like acceptance of my body without a commitment to improve. So this isn't just, oh, you know, I, I, 
I'm a fat mess and I don't care. That's not what this is. This is body positivity and health and my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and deserves to be treated in a particular way. Like there, there is an effort to improve in all of this. It's just not obsessive about that. There's something different going on here. Can you talk about that? That's so true. It's, it's, this is the relationship we have with our body. And so even when it comes to health and wellness, we are so conditioned to place weight loss and size front and center, bright and shiny, right? We're focused on that. Every decision we make is, does this fit my calories? Is this going to make my scale go down? Did I exercise enough to, to eat this? And those types of things. When really, if we're approaching actual health and wellness, we want to nourish our body in a way that feels good to us, move in ways that we enjoy and those types of things, removing the exterior, the aesthetics of from the being the front and center focus of our body journey that will actually help improve how we see our bodies. Because if you think about it, how, how much of your mind and heart are consumed with negative thoughts about your body? And you may not even realize it. So that's something to ponder today is how much of your mind and heart is consumed with negative thoughts about your body. And it, when you notice that, just notice it without judgment, but start to think about why that might be or what messages you've heard along the way or are you hearing in your everyday life that are making you think that your body will never, never, never be good enough until it's X size or, or whatever, how X amount of pounds, you fill in the blank. Your body's never going to be good enough. Your body is good, amazing, strong, capable, intelligent right now. How can we begin to see it that way? And how will that change the way we approach wellness as a whole? I like the three principles that you offer to drive us forward on our journey. Move your body, fuel your body, love your body. Tell us about yeah. um, those principles. So a lot of us think, okay, I really would love to, um, you know, love the girl in the mirror, but I I've also, most of us are also interested in feeling well and, um, and taking care of our bodies. And they're like, well, how do we do both? How do we do both? <laughs> and my answer is that it all goes back to motive. It all goes back to our mindset around these things and removing our value, our, our worth from the size and shape of our body. And so we can run toward our biggest, most audacious health and fitness goals, but let's do it from a place of loving and caring for our bodies rather than because we feel like, oh my word, my body is just not good. It's just, it's body loathing. We want to get away from that and we want to fuel our bodies. So nourishing our bodies in ways that feel well, we want to move our bodies in ways that we enjoy. And those things will help us to actually love our bodies or at least get to the place where we're finding more acceptance of this body and appreciation for this body that we live in, which is important because if you think about it, this is the body you're going to live in for the rest of your life. And you can look at that like, oh, this is the body I'm going to live in the rest of my life. I better hurry up and work on it. Or, or you can look at it like, this is the body I'm going to live in for the rest of my life. How can I start today to appreciate my body and celebrate my body for all that it does for me every single day? Because even just flipping that approach and, and that mindset will help you to care for your body in a more healthy way. Jennifer, there are people listening right now who, um, uh, you know, are saying to themselves, I, 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 I want this for someone I love, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not, I, yeah. not I want this for myself, but <laughs> I want this, I want someone else that I, I want someone that I love. I want my daughter or I want my mom or I want my wife to get this message. Um, how, how and when did the, maybe 
maybe this is a switch that flipped in your mind, this um, this motive, motivation, mindset, reset um, conversation that we're having. Um, how would you have responded or how maybe did you respond over time when other people made observations about what you're now making observations about for yourself? Does that make sense at all? Absolutely. And and I would say there are a couple of things. So when they when people made observations about my body in general, you have to understand. So this body thing has been a thing for me for my entire life. So even okay, when for I was all in of us, you're you're it's like you're speaking the female script right. of the world. Okay, today. Right. So yeah, everybody's resonating. Yeah, we're with you. Okay, good. Okay, good. So I can remember even all the way back when I was a little girl in kindergarten, a little boy said my cheeks look like chipmunk cheeks. And I automatically assumed he was classifying me as chubby. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's not good. That was the first sting of not being at peace with my body. And then I, I battled it all through life. I'm in a body that's, you know, larger than the majority of the bodies around me. And everyone is just relentlessly reminding me that I'm too big. I'm too large. I need to get smaller. I need to lose weight, but I can't seem to do it. And so by the time I'm, you know, graduating high school and I'm 336 pounds, I've walked through so much. I feel like there's something innately wrong with me. What's wrong with me that I can't just lose this weight that the whole world is telling me to lose? What is wrong with me? So there was this whole wrong narrative in my mind. And so all of those years, I tell you that to say all of those years, everyone was telling me, was drawing attention to my body, saying it was too large, right? Well, then when I started losing weight and getting smaller, well, then I started receiving accolades for, again, my body. So, so much attention was placed on my body that I forgot. I, I didn't even realize it, but I forgot to, to, to learn in my mind and heart that there's more to me than my body, that I'm not just the size of my body, that I'm not just a weight loss story. There's more to me. And so I would always encourage anyone who is um, wanting to pass this along or, or validate someone else's journey that might struggle with this, um, draw attention to things other than their body. Their body is good. You can validate what they're walking through, what their struggles are, but there's more to them and focus on those things and bring out the best in them, whatever. They might be a wonderful encourager. There might be, they might be a wonderful friend, very loyal or whatever it might be. And you can encourage them and validate their story. But what I have learned is that when there's so much focus placed on, you need to change. If you would just lose the weight, you'd feel better. You know, those types of comments, um, they really don't help anyone. <laughs> they don't they don't make you feel good. They really don't provoke you to change. But when you can bring out the best in someone and, and really see them for more than just their body, you just never know what transformation might take place because transformation starts in our heart anyway. And so it's there's so much that we can do in the for, for people that we love. Um, let's just look at it more than just how can I make them feel motivated to get smaller, if that makes any sense at all? <laughs> it does. It does. All right. Jennifer okay. Taylor Wagner is the author. The book is Your Good Body, Embracing a Body Positive Mindset in a Perfection-Focused World. We are giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. And um, when we come back, I'm going uh, to ask Jennifer to share with us the secret of being content with our bodies, even if we're not thin. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're continuing our conversation with Jennifer Wagner. You can find her at jenniferwagner.co. 
The book is Your Good Body, Embracing a Body-Positive Mindset in a Perfection-Focused World. Um, If you do nothing else today in follow-up to this, go and watch her videos um, on her website because you will... Um, You will get this intuitively um, when you're listening to Jennifer talk about um, her experience in her life. Uh, It is precious. So here's the three principles. Move your body, fuel your body, love your body. Um, All right. So, Jennifer, is there a secret? Is there a secret to being content with our bodies even if we're not thin? Well, here's the thing. When I was a size 28, I thought, oh, my word, I would give anything to be a size 22. And then I got to a size 22 and I thought, oh, I would just give anything to be a size 18. And then I got to an 18 and you can imagine how it went on and on and on. And I went through this massive, see, for me, I I can tell you firsthand because I've been all the sizes pretty much. (laughs) I've been every size from six to 28. And for me, I was realizing as I'm just making myself smaller, 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 that my perception of what's good enough, it, it just was ever moving. I ne- it was never enough. It was never, okay, now this is good and I can settle here and we're, we're fine. And so what that showed me is that I had this mindset that when I, even, not even fully realizing it, that my body needed, I needed to do fill in the blank to be good enough. But the, the truth is here is that we, it's never gonna be good enough because that's always going to be moving. And so we've got to learn to see right now today, like how can we see our body as good today, right now? Because we're so afraid if we do that, if we let down um, some of the pressure that we put on ourselves to make our bodies in air quotes better, that we will then just go crazy and fall off the wagon and completely just like have no whatever. But the thing about it is if we can, if we can learn to see our bodies as good right now today, and I mean like like looking in the mirror and and letting your eyes go to those things that you think are flaws and and starting to change the way you see those things, then we can actually approach all of these things from a better standpoint. So I had to learn that it's never going to be good enough. It's never, I'm never going to get there (laughs) because it's all about the aesthetics. um, It was in my mind. And so now I realize that it's not about those things and I have to learn to see my body as good today, no matter what, not just when I lose the weight, not when I reach the goal, not when I, any of those things right now, today, as is my body is good. And I can learn to see it that way. Mm. So it's so helpful. Um, So Diet culture is something that um, you you give me language for you you sort of expose. Um, I I understood it once you gave a name to it. Your message might sound to some people like a diet culture body positivity message. It is a body positivity message, but it's not a diet culture message. So how is this message different from the one the world is advocating? Um, where we set fitness goals, we intentionally plan and eat to fuel our bodies with the right things at the right time and the right amounts. And, you know, we move more like how is what you're saying different than what the world is telling us uh, through diet culture? Well, the reason that it gets misconstrued is because diet culture places weight and weight loss at the very front and center of every decision. So dieting is a set of rules and restrictions that uh, you follow. You follow a plan to 
to pursue weight loss specifically. So every time you're hungry, you're like, okay, I'm going to do whatever I can do to lose this weight. What should I eat? What, you know, fits my macros, all those things. And so that places our weight loss front and center. And so what happens is diet culture has sort of inadvertently stolen the, um, the words health and wellness and, and made them, uh, paired them with making our bodies smaller, smaller. So that's why it gets, it gets misconstrued. Actual health and wellness isn't placing weight at the front and center because if, if weight loss would solve all of our health issues, then anybody in a smaller body would automatically be healthy. So, but anybody in any size body can have any kind of, um, any kind of ailment, any kind of sickness or any kind of struggle in their body. So it's not just about our, our, the size of our body. And so what's different here is that we are, we are learning to, it's, it's, we're learning to pursue actual health and wellness and removing the the aesthetics from being the front and center of everything. So diet culture is, yeah, going to tie everything to the size of our body and losing weight and all of those things. Actual health and wellness is, is nourishing our body in a way that, okay, okay, so if I'm hungry right now, and I'm in a dieting mentality, I'm going to say, does this fit my macros? Does this fit my calories? Did I exercise enough for this? All of those things. If I am, if I am just nourishing my body, I'm going to say, what sounds good to me right now? What will energize me for the things I have to do for the rest of the day? What sets well on my stomach? That's nourishing my body and not, not even thinking about, okay, is this going to make my scale go down? But it, it takes some unlearning, but yeah, it's, it's two different things, diet culture and actual health and wellness, believe it or not, are two completely different things. All right. So Jennifer, um, what would you say to me if, you know, as this new year began, I felt remorse and shame and all kinds of negative emotions related to past failures, right? Another set of resolutions related to um, I'll even use the, the better terms, health and wellness, but, you know, I'm defeated. I'm defeated. Turn that yeah. around to motivation to start again, again, but differently. Yeah. And we have to understand that if you have tried and failed a million times at dieting, it's because diets statistically really don't work. Most of the time, a dieter will re regain all the weight they lost and then some. So it's not you, it's the diet. I promise you. <laughs> and so that's why that's why we're not going to diet. I don't want to get misconstrued. Like that is we're, we're walking away from diets today. Come on with me, ladies <laughs> and gents, everyone who's listening. Um, we're we're going to go. What I would challenge you to do to answer your question is to get curious about how your train of thought with health and wellness might actually need to look differently. Diets haven't probably served you very well in the past because diets um, sabotage us more than help us. And so if you're feeling defeated, number one, value validate that that is an actual normal feeling and that's okay. And, and maybe use that as a way to say, all right, that mindset isn't working. I need to look at something totally different. I'm looking at maybe the goal is, is, is misplaced in my mind. Maybe I need to stop focusing so much on changing the, the size of my body or getting the scale, or maybe, maybe just maybe I need to look at this completely differently. And so I would encourage you to step away from that dieting mentality and begin to get curious about what it would look like to simply, um, 
fuel yourself in a way that feels well, enjoy food, like eat food, like that you enjoy, give yourself permission to do that and move in a way that you absolutely love rather than um, stepping into like rigidity and doing something that you feel like you have to do to make up for something else. And so it's getting curious. What would this journey look like if it, if it was totally different? <laughs> because that's what I'm it. here to do. I'm here to completely flip all that you've ever thought about health and wellness completely on its head. <laughs> I know. And I love that. All right. Jennifer Wagner.co, Jennifer Wagner.co. The book is Your Good Body, Embracing a Body Positive Mindset in a Perfection Focused World. Yes, we're giving away copies. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Jennifer, um, what a joy. I'm now uh, following you on Instagram and I have signed up at the website. So uh, I look forward to the journey ahead. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We'll be right back. All right, something is wrong with the text line. Something. This is a big, big major alert. Something is wrong with the text line. So I need you, if you want to enter the drawing for the book, I need you to go to MyFaithRadio.com backslash resource. MyFaithRadio.com backslash resource um, and sign up uh, for the drawing for um, for the book that we just talked with Jennifer about your good body. So you want to go to myfaithradio.com backslash resource because our text line for whatever reason is not working today. You could also just email me Carmen at myfaithradio.com and we'll make sure to get you in the drawing. So either email me Carmen at myfaithradio.com or go to myfaithradio.com backslash resource to enter into the drawing for the book, Your Good Body. Our text line was not working during that conversation and we don't know why. Okay, quick farm report. Old dogs can learn new bad tricks. Sassy is being naughty. That's what I have for you today. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.